One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that leverages music's power to take us back to times and places and people and emotions, thanks to the way songs bind themselves to our memories in an almost magical way. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is John Michaels. John's a singer-songwriter whose long career has included three albums and many writing credits, including for artists including Clint Black, Ray Herndon, Keith Urban, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and many more. He has performed with or opened for Michael McDonald, Paul Williams, B.J. Thomas, The Kingston Trio, John Sebastian, Bertie Higgins, and Ronnie Cox. He's co-produced PBS shows and documentaries, including Born to Explore with WGBH in Boston, Fathers in America with SCETV in South Carolina, Endless Feast with KCET in Los Angeles, Christina Cooks with WHYY in Philadelphia, where he performed an original song for each episode plus the theme song, and Cyberwork in the American Dream with KCAL in Los Angeles, for which he recently won an Emmy Award. His bio says whether John is performing at the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville or volunteering to help a soul in need, he possesses the qualities that make an artist unforgettable, and that his truest passion is spent with his wife Jeannie, their daughter Jennings, and his golden doodle Cinnamon, living a quiet and fulfilling life in Lexington, South Carolina, savoring his time off kayaking and scuba diving around the world. We came across John because he is, in a roundabout way, how we wound up meeting our guest on episode 138, Survivor Man Les Stroud. We caught up with him in his home with Cinnamon at his side. Hey there, John. How you doing? I am doing very well, Mike. How are you doing? I am doing just fine. I'm. Uh, it's Friday. It's nice around here. The weather's perfect for this time of year here in Florida. Um, so I have no complaints. Um, real quick, I understand that you've trained your dog to push a button to answer questions. Is that true? It, it is true. Actually, uh, Cinnamon, is that true? Yes. What? Say that again? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes, I I have I have this yes and no button, right? Like the staples, you remember the staples? Button? Uh-huh. That was easy. And and so I have these two buttons and I separate them about, you know, maybe a foot and a half, two feet, and then she's a golden doodle. She's about three years old, and I have trained her literally to walk in the house and close the door behind her. She prays, she uh she does all the other stuff to sit and roll over and what have you, but she is such a sweet dog, so I taught her by just my hand signal, and I'm kind of out of the camera frame when I'm filming it, you know, I'll say, like, Cinnamon, are you a good girl? And I'll motion over to the yes button. She'll tap it with her paw, and then it'll say yes, and I'll say, Cinnamon, you want to go take a bath? And then she'll go over to the no button, and it's been a, <laughs> a really good stupid human pet trick, if you will, that I've enjoyed for so long. So, yes, I have a golden doodle, and I think you were telling me you have a, a a bulldog, right? I have a bulldog mix named Rose who showed up on my door about 10, 10 11 years ago now. That's great, Rose. And it's a, it's a, it's a he, right? Uh, she. Or she. Yep. Oh, it's a she. Okay. Well, I don't know. I thought for some reason you said he. All right. Well, that's awesome. So you're a dog lover like I am. I'm a dog and a cat guy. I've got a cat named Amanda, uh, who's named after Spock's mom from Star Trek, and uh, and I've now got two rabbits named Flip and Flop, thanks to my daughter. <laughs> Flip and Flop. That's really very funny. I think that that's great. I just right now, you know, Cinnamon is is our dog. It was uh, she was delivered by Santa for my daughter. 
uh, three years ago, but obviously I take care of her. So uh, I'm the one that uh, takes her out and walks her and what have you. And we have this wonderful relationship. So she's sitting right here at my feet. So I'm in good company. Uh, Okay, well, we're going to have to get now on the rails of the Three Song Stories train, but I just want to throw out one last thing about rabbits. There's no upside to having pet rabbits. None. (laughs) Zero upside. The only upside is pleasing your daughter. That is it. Other than that, they're just all they do is eat and get rid of the food. (laughs) Post-apocalyptic food source. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope we don't get there. Um, Okay, John, let's see. What was the musical background of your childhood, and where was that? Well, I'm, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, and that's where uh, I grew up. My mom and dad, um, they were uh, divorced um, from an early age, so I was two when my, mom, when my mom and dad split, and it just seemed that as I grew up, I really started to, to um, identify with, with music and with wanting to be in music, and I was making up songs as a little kid. And I started to appreciate music in all of its forms, especially with the creative side of music, writing and, and really understanding what that was all about. And I started to write my own songs when I was 10 years old. I think that's when I wrote my first song, and it's kind of been a part of me now. It, ha- it is. It is my raison d'etre, if you will. My reason to be is, is music. So I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, and, and that's where I really got this uh, passion for my music. What was the kind of music being played around you when you were a kid? Like, what were you being exposed to? Well, it's interesting because um, I wouldn't say that my mom and and my brothers and sisters uh, were really into music. I mean, they had what you would expect a lot of the rock and roll back in those days in the 60s. Obviously, the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks and, uh, you know, those kind of bands and the Hermits Hermits and things uh, that my sisters would all listen to. But what I really started to listen to growing up were the singer-songwriters. Cat Stevens, for number one, was a huge influence. Um, Then it would be uh, Bob Dylan and other solo artists like that, not to mention, obviously, the Beatles and groups like that. But it was, I, I just remember listening to Cat Stevens quite a bit as I was 10 and 11, 12 years old and then getting into my teenage years. And so that was the kind of music. There was a station out in Los Angeles, for those of you that may be familiar with the, the stations out in L.A., it was called KNX FM. And they just played the singer-songwriters. They're kind of like with the bridges today on, on, on uh, you know, cable radio. And uh, they just played all my favorites. So to answer your question, I was really in tune with the singer-songwriters. Most definitely. You said you wrote your first song uh, when you were 10. I'm curious, what what was the song about? If you can remember. It was called, yeah, no, it was called The Black Cat. And I remember I was inspired to write it by my brother. I have a twin brother, and uh, Jeff may be listening, because he lives in Florida, and I'll definitely tell him to be listening. But I just remember I was 10 years old, and and 10 or 11, I started writing about, you know, my brother, because my brother and I were different, and Jeff just seemed to, to he, he just seemed to, to, to get into a lot of fights, let's put it that way, at an early age, and he was just kind of, I was like really introspective and thinking about what it would be like to, to, um, 
how can I phrase this? It was like, here I am, 10 or 11, I'm getting really deep about Jeff, and, and it was called The Black Cat, and it was just like, he, where does he go? Where does he turn to, you know, when he's struggling to, to fit in? And this is all coming from a 10-year-old. And uh, my mom, I'll never forget her telling me, she just goes, John, that's a little bit weird for a guy, <laughs> for a boy that's only 10 years old, to be writing something like that. I said, I don't really, and I can, I can even remember the, 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 the chords, they were very minor, very dark chords. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just really weird. And, and Jeff, I, I don't know if you remember this, if you're listening, but uh, hey, bro, I, I, I love you. And uh, you were my first inspiration. So there you have it. <laughs> uh, when did you get your first guitar and how did that come about? Well, my first guitar was actually my sister's guitar. Um, she had the guitar in the house and she taught me my first couple chords. You know, she taught me my G and my C and my D, and I would just be taking, it was a it was a sunburst. I can't remember the name of the guitar. It was a cheap guitar, but I remember it was a sunburst. I don't know if you know about those. The sunbursts are usually dark with the, the kind of sunburst in the middle of the guitar, and and uh, it was a steel string guitar, and she taught me my first three chords, and I just learned those chords, and I would just play and play and play, and every morning, I remember I would get up, and the first thing I do, my, I would pick up the guitar and uh, just to see if overnight something ha- magically happened where I could go from one chord to another without stopping. And eventually, it's exactly how it happened. I woke up one morning and I could go from a G to a C. I don't know if either one of you play guitar. We both but, do. Uh, do. <laughs> so you know what it's like when you're first learning to, to go from one chord to another. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I used to do that all the time. And, and I actually started writing because I couldn't play a lot of the chords of my favorite songs, whether it was a James yeah. Taylor song, uh, Jackson Brown, uh, as I mentioned, um, Cat Stevens. So I just started making up my own. So I'd have something to play and sing. And, uh, but that was back then and, uh, all the way through, you know, elementary school, junior high, going into high school and then, you know, parts of my community college days. And then, uh, as an adult, uh, I've been playing my whole life and, uh, you know, graduated to all these different types of guitars, including 12 strings. And I had a Fender Strat and all those good things. So I have some really good memories, fond memories of of my childhood and playing guitar. Well, kudos to you, because I know a lot of people who, when they, they realize how hard it is to play the songs that they like, they start listening to easier music (laughs) so they can play the songs that they listen to. And you went the other, you just got better. So I like that. Uh, And John, my main instrument that I play is a, a Kent tenor guitar strung with nylon strings that sunburst that was made somewhere in the early 60s you still have it now today oh yeah that's what i play i mean it wasn't my first instrument it's what i've wound up with of after all these years wow and 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 how does it sound i mean uh, does it sound really good do you change the strings often and and is it got a pickup in it? Tell me a little bit. No, about it that. doesn't have Never a pickup. Um, what happened was, is I came across a tenor. I, okay, <laughs> I learned on the guitar. It had too many strings. I picked up the ukulele. Loved it. Don't like how ukulele sounds. Stumbled across a tenor, a steel string tenor guitar at a thrift store. Loved it. My daughter took it away from me because she loved it more. (laughs) So I looked online and I found on eBay, somebody was selling, somebody out in California was selling this sunburst tenor guitar that I bought and I put nylon strings on it about eight months ago and it sounds great and I love it and it's just my, my favorite instrument ever. That's, that's wonderful. Um, that, that's, uh, 
the the transition of putting nylon strings on a steel string guitar and vice versa any problem with that i mean uh, no buzzing or anything like that no maybe? sounds clean and rich and and i kind of did it just because i a i like playing nylon string but b it's so old i figured it would just be easier on it you know so no it it, it sounds great well that is very cool uh, that that that's that's good to know hmm. and what kind of songs were you playing by the way oh um let's see I play some Bob Dylan, I play some Avett Brothers, I play some Pink Floyd, I play some songs that I wrote, um, I play Moxie I play some Moxie Fruvis. Um, yeah, I have about 15 or 20 songs that I know, and that's just enough for me. I just play for myself and with my daughter. I don't care to play out or anything like that. What was the main reason? I'll tell you what my main reason was. What was the main reason that... Uh you like playing the guitar so much uh it's meditative and um i like to learn you know I'm, I'm a knowledge seeker by nature and so just like what you were talking about earlier with you know being able to go from a g to a c and those incremental changes and then every now and then those incremental changes add up to a bigger change i just like it it's meditative for me and um i rarely look, try to learn new songs because i would just rather sit around and play the songs i know and get better at them well you have a better answer than I do because mine was strictly to meet girls. I hey, saw me too. girls. <laughs> so I'm going back to the old standard. Girls, I tell you, I have a, a funny story that actually, because one of the songs that I picked, um, this is a good segue. Um, I was, uh, <clears throat> was kind of shy growing up and uh, we moved quite a bit. So I was always going to a new school and in sixth grade, and I, I don't know how old you are in sixth grade. I think you're, what, 11 maybe, uh, 10 or 11. And I was going to the school. It was Burbank Elementary School. And um, this, is, this is a great story. Um, I would, the, one of the guys that worked at my school, he was like one of the teacher's aides. He's probably maybe in his late 20s, early 30s, thinking back. He would bring his guitar. <clears throat> And he would perform for the the kids. And I would sit there and I would just be in awe and listening to him play and just seeing how everybody reacted. And he was, everybody loved him. He was so popular. And I would literally dream that I would do that, you know, and kids would pay attention and I'd become popular. And I must, I, I kind of mustered up enough courage to uh, go up to him and, and ask if one day I could play with him, you know, that I could come up and sing a song that, you know, on my guitar. And he said, absolutely. And I'll never forget. Uh, we finally decided that he was going to invite me up one day after recess, lunch recess. And, uh, I remember getting so nervous and scared. I mean, here I'm 11 years old and all of a sudden I'm going to be getting up in front of my, my classmates. And that moment came and I, I remember the teacher called me up and uh, she said, you know, John's going to play with whatever this gentleman's name was. And the song that we chose to play was Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And the teacher said, oh, before you start, she went and she called the other classrooms. There was another classroom <laughs> oh, adjacent man. to ours. So she brings all the sixth graders in. And so now, I mean, I'm really nervous and, and – um, Everybody's sitting there and they're all looking at me and, and they're just waiting to see what happens. And I go into playing, you know, blowing in the wind in the key of C, right? And 
and he's the, the 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 guy that was there he you know he's he's playing along with me and I got through it. I don't know how I did, but I got through it. And the kids gave me this roaring, roaring applause. It was so wonderful. It was everything that I w- had imagined that it could be. And the the coolest part was the next day, I'll never forget, um, I'm sitting by myself out on one of the, the tables for lunch. And the prettiest girl in the whole school that she never would notice me, and I would never have the nerve to go up and talk to her. She comes up with her tray. I can't believe it. She comes up with a tray, and I'm sitting there by myself, and she says, can I sit down with you? Uh. I was like, yes. I mean, I'm only in sixth grade, but the prettiest girl sat down with me, and this was like probably the last week of school or something like that, so there wasn't really any time to, to really get to know her and become friends but I just remember that that moment I never, ever forgot. It literally changed my life because it made me somebody. It gave me an identity. It made me kind of stick out, if you will, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, my head a, a little bit above the crowd, but in such a positive, reaffirming, affirmation way that, you know, John, you've got something special. And, and that girl, I'll never forget. I, I can't remember her name. Uh, just too long ago but i can still see her face and how sweet that moment was for me and i remember i would go home and at night i would turn on the radio and i would listen to the the music and as i was listening to the music i'd fade off into a semi-dream state of pretending that that was me singing that song on stage and i could literally visualize the crowd watching me and that's the way that I, you know, my childhood formed and, and my dreams formed. And then this one song came on and I thought about this little girl who I had a crush on and the song was, I'll have to say, I love you in a song. And I thought, wow, I really would love to learn that song, to sing it for that pretty little girl. And I actually went down and bought, that was the very first 45 I've ever bought on my own with my own money. And that was Jim Croce's song, I'll Have to Say I Love You, in a song. So I thought that I would share that with you because that was one of the first songs that I sent you as far as my three that uh, had such a big impact on me. All right. Well, let's listen to it here in a second. But I just wanted to ask, was the affirmation you got from the kids and especially from her, did that make it instantly easier for you to perform in front of people and not be nervous? I wouldn't say that it made it easy but it made it desirable. It made it something that I wanted more of, you know, you know, we're, it's, it's an addiction being up on stage and that, that feeling of adulation and everything else that you get when it's good, that's when it starts and it starts at a young age. And then you're just, it's like a drug. And the more you get it, the more you want it, the more you want it, the more you need it. And, and, and it, it's also got a poison to it because pretty soon you know, if you're not getting the kind of affirmation that you want from a show and you get off stage and you're not getting that kind of adulation, it can be a real downer. And then, you know, I don't have to tell you about what it's like to be a tortured artist your whole life. And that's what you're striving for. And it can be very, very crazy. It causes a lot of problems with artists, as you know, um, because uh, there were times going through high school. I remember uh, people would always say, hey, we want you to come to our party, but bring your guitar. And there was a period where I'd go through like, what, they just want me to come and play? Right. They don't want me. So there was, you know, 
there was a lot of different uh, a lot of different incarnations of of what I was going through emotionally through my music but I just remember that first time where it was the greatest feeling in the world and not everybody gets to, to feel that you know but if you, if, you, if you put yourself out there and you get that kind of moment it's 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 indescribable it's, it's incredible Hmm. Well, let's listen to this uh, first song. It's I'll Have to Say I Love You in a Song uh, by Jim Croce, released posthumously, which I did not realize, on his album I Got a Name. So uh, were you able to learn that song after you heard it and then wanted to play it for her? Well, not that uh, 13 years of age. I just didn't <laughs> have the chop back then. Uh, today I could definitely play it and play it very well, but Back then, I, I couldn't, and I never saw her again. It, interestingly enough, I was thinking about it, that uh, we, I, I don't know where she ended up going to junior high school. I went to, and she just never went to that school anymore. So, but I just, you know, as I was listening to that song, you know, I, I actually, I can remember sitting in front of the television and um, the news came on and I can't remember if they just broke in. But they just said that we're, we're, we're whatever it was. We're you know we interrupt this program to that you know that uh, Jim Croce was in a plane crash and had passed away and you know had perished. And uh, I just it left me dumbfounded because that guy was just such an amazing singer songwriter that even a kid at twelve and thirteen could just be totally mesmerized by him. And he was just he, I think he was what thirty one or thirty two. Or something he was just taking at the at the top of his career, but that song had such an impact on me, and that to me is it just had all of the elements. It had such a beautiful melody, beautiful lyrics, the structure, the whole thing, and I can just imagine how many sweet little girls were falling in love, well would fall in love to that song with somebody singing that. It was just such a beautiful song. So um, that's that's a lot. That's a keeper. Was he one of your main inspirations, or if you know, besides him, who else? Well, Jim Croce is absolutely. I, I do a mean version of "Don't Mess Around with Jim," and uh, on the guitar, and uh, that's always a, a crowd pleaser. And um, but I mean, my influences, Dion. Obviously, you remember Dion mm-hmm. from Belmonts, and I do a rockin' version of uh, of uh, "Run Around Sue." and uh, the wanderer and ruby and um then obviously uh, people like jim croce that were big uh in the early 70s and cat stevens like again i go back to cat stevens because in my junior high years uh t for the tillerman and um, miles from nowhere and morning is broken uh all of those songs i just learned them all and i just father and son that was another big song so it was the singer-songwriter, Joni Mitchell, I remember, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. All of these people, they would just, I would be captivated. I'd be sitting there with their albums, reading the liner notes, playing them over and over again on my stereo system. And it was such a great, I, I love that music growing up to it. I, I mean, it really influenced me. It really molded me. And uh, uh, it gave me a reason to go out and uh, try to be creative and uh, to uh, tackle, you know, the creative side of, of my life and to get out there and play and, and sing and try to say something important. And, and uh, it was just a beautiful thing, that, that music. More so than while everybody else was listening to Led Zeppelin and everybody else was listening to Queen and 
all of those other uh, groups, I knew them, I appreciated them, but I did not have a real affection for them. Um, my passion were for the singer-songwriters. How many songs do you know right now from memory? Wow, interesting. That is so interesting because, um, and I don't mind saying my age, I just turned 60. I was born in 1960. So I just turned 60, and it's shocking that now I'm I'm having to, you know, carry a book or, you know, have those songs, the lyrics readily, avail- readily available so I can look at. But there are certain songs that I can recall just by once I get into the mode of playing them. But hundreds, I mean, there were times where I was a walking jukebox. They called me Campfire Wonder back in the day because I could sit around a campfire. You could just start you know, just naming off songs and I would play them and I play by ear. So, uh, I was pretty good at that, but I mean, I knew hundreds of songs and, uh, even from, from like Eddie rabbit to, uh, you know, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, their solo stuff and, and the Eagles and all of those. And then, uh, not to mention the hundreds and hundreds of songs that I've written. Right. So yeah, a lot. A lot. The uh, the guy who does the theme song for our podcast is an old friend of mine named, named Dave Cowan, and he was that same per or he still is. He's you know he doesn't live in Fort Myers anymore, but he knows hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs, and it's just it's like how do you do it? Uh, he was by the way I, the one time I was ever briefly in a band was with him and a couple other people. Uh, we had two ukuleles, a guitar, and a cello, and we called ourselves Vegan Mosquito. Vegan Mosquito. Yeah. <laughs> Like like a vegetarian vegan? Yeah, like a like a mosquito that can't eat blood. <laughs> <laughs> or blood. <laughs> wow. Why don't you just call it herbivore a mosquito too? I mean, my gosh, that's I, I vegan mosquito, that's a really cool, unique, odd name, out. I'll never forget that. That's for sure. That's oh, a great, a great name. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Well, we we played one gig and they cheered, and that was enough for me. <laughs> um, so you said so you've written how many songs yourself? Oh, I, I probably have a couple hundred songs easily. I mean, I don't have three thousand songs because I've been doing some other things in my life that I just didn't. Uh, I, I would take breaks, but I have a couple hundred songs. But I have three CDs out of my own. And um, of, uh, of really some very cool stuff. And I've been very blessed to have several cuts from other artists that have recorded my music. And I've uh, written some theme songs. And um, uh, I've had songs in the movies. So I've been very blessed with the, I wouldn't say it's a small catalog, but with the catalog that I've had to had some notoriety and some success. Did you have one of your songs that you wrote recorded by somebody else before you put out your first album, or did you put out your first album before that? No, it was after. Um, The first song that I ever had recorded uh, on a major record was a song called Check, Please. And I'll I'll share the story with you because it's a funny, funny story. Yeah, yeah. And then your listeners, if if your listeners want to hear the song, they can go to my website and check it out or they can Google it. Um, so I love this story because, uh, you know, if people ask you, what do you write about? And you just say, write the truth, no matter what it is, just write the truth. And um, <laughs> it makes me laugh because I love this story. Um, so I was out and I was in Nashville and I was playing uh, all the time, all these writers nights. And there was a guy out there, and his name was Paul Jefferson, 
and Paul's a buddy of mine, and, and we've written a lot of songs together. But back then, we would kind of steal the show. We were on these writers' nights. There might be four writers up on the stage, each doing an in-the-round. But Paul and I always stood out. And so there was one night in particular that Paul and I were up on stage, just the two of us, and we were singing, uh, taking turns. And then during the break, um, I would be out talking to the crowd or whatever, and this girl comes up to me, and this is probably 1994. And this girl comes up to me and she says, and she, you can tell she'd obviously had a few to drink and she was out with her girlfriends. And she just kind of came up and she said, I really like what you do. And I love your voice. And I said, well, thank you very much. And she kind of whispered into my ear. She said, you know, when you sing, you make my knees weak. <laughs> mm. I, wow. You know, okay. So, I, you know, I just kind of probably turned red and said, thank you. And, and so I walked, oh, you know, I, we said goodbye or whatever. And I went up on stage and I kind of whispered to Paul. I said, hey, Paul, you see that, that girl out there? This is what she said to me, you know, and Paul's just kind of giggling and laughing, right? So we start the second half of our show and I start singing this ballad. And uh, I, sing, I sing half of it in English and half of it in Spanish. And during the part where I start to sing in Spanish, my buddy Paul leans into the microphone and, um, oh, before I, I, I got to preface one part, right before we said goodbye, me and this girl, she said, don't tell anybody that I said that to you because it would be kind of embarrassing. I said, of course not. I wouldn't tell anybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm now up there singing and I'm singing this part in Spanish and Paul leans into the microphone and he goes, oh, John. My knees are getting so weak. And he stands up and he starts shaking and he starts walking around the stage while I'm singing like his knees are weak. And literally, I'm peeing in my pants. I mean, water's coming out of every orifice of my body. And I see this girl get up, just give me the evil eye, and she storms out of the club. And I felt so bad. And I remember chasing her. I remember literally getting off stage and running after her and trying to apologize profusely. I couldn't. I couldn't catch my breath. I was laughing so hard. It was such <laughs> a funny, funny, funny moment. So a, about a, a week or two later, I, I don't know how I did. I figured out who she was, and I got her phone number, and I called her up. And um, I said, um, I want to make it up to you. Let me just take you out for dinner and please let me just take you out and, 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 and come on, we'll, we'll, we'll laugh about this. So she agreed. And so I, we meet at this little coffee shop in Nashville and we're talking and, um, out of the blue, she leans into me again and she looks at me and she says, I just want you to know one thing. And I said, what's that? And she said, I'm not going to sleep with you or any man until we're married. And then she sat back and she waited for my reply. And my reply was, check, please. <laughs> just like that without missing a beat, right? And then she started to laugh and I started to laugh. And after we said goodbye, uh, I went home and I wrote, which became my first hit that was recorded. And it's called Check, Please. And it's very funny. And um, 
it, it, I couldn't believe it. Paul Jefferson, the guy that actually I was up there singing with, got a record deal with uh, Almo Sounds, which was part of A&M Records. And uh, his first single, believe it or not, was Check, Please. And um, we ended up uh, finishing it together. I'll tell you that the, I had gone home that night after meeting that girl, and I just picked up the guitar and just started strumming. And, and the lyric that came out of me was, Sitting in a cafe, talking to a lady, having a discussion about SCX. In her early 30s, talking to me kind of dirty. I was totally excited, but a nervous wreck. Then she said before we'd ever get to the mat, I'd have to walk her to the altar. What do you think about that? Check, please. Quickly. How much do I owe? It's time for me to go. What she wants to do ain't on the menu. So, hey, made her D snap. One, two, three. Check, please. And that was just what came out of me. Stream of conscious. And then um, if you or any of your listeners want to hear the rest of the song, you can go listen to it. But that was the first song I got cut. It was on Paul Jefferson's record, and uh, it made it up the charts. And then uh, from that point on, uh, I decided I was going to do my own record as well. And uh, so um, I had my first record. I did it live uh, at a place called Douglas Corner, and I had some of the best musicians. I mean, these the musicians that I had played with everybody from Vince Gill, um, to Lyle Lovett. And so I had the, the cream of the crop in Nashville, and we did it live, live to tape, with a whole audience. And um, the album hmm. was incredible. It, it was actually nominated in the independent market as best album of the year, best live album of the year. So I was very excited. And um, it's just called John Michaels. The, the title of the album is called Stones. And uh, so that was my first album. Then I have two other albums after that. But that's a long story, but it's a fun story about uh you know my writing and and how that all you know went down uh did the did, did the further into the song you go does do you ever hear the words weak or knees <laughs> i was hoping to hear no, i was hoping to word, hear that in no, there <laughs> oh no you don't hear that but uh it was uh I, that it's always great to, I, I love telling that story on stage because i'll tell the story but i won't tell everybody i'll just say now here's the song here was i'll say to everybody, when she sat back and waited for my reply, this is what my reply was. And then I'll go into it, and when I get to the hook of the song, the whole audience just starts laughing hysterically. So it's a very memorable song. I mean, I have people that will come up to me and that, you know, not seeing me for 10 or 15 years, and they'll always talk about Check, Please. Hmm. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you mentioned that you'd written some theme songs, one of which was you when you were on the Today Show. Tell, talk a little bit about that. That's a, a very cool story. Um, interestingly enough, I was working, it was right after the, uh, it was around after the 2008, the, you know, the debacle that we had in this country with the economy. And, and uh, I was just, I was hurting for money and I had just gotten married <clears throat> and um, I had just gotten married and we just had a daughter. That was when Jennings was born, 2007. And, uh, I was trying to figure things out. I really couldn't get it together, so it was time for me to go back to the corporate world. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, I have to clear my throat. And um, so this is around 2010, 11, and I um, I had to take a job, and I was about 50 at that point, and I got hired by Merrill Lynch, and uh, I went through their whole program, got my Series Seven, and for the first two years, uh, was working like a dog trying to build a book, a business. And um, 
it was around Christmas time of 2012. Um, is that right? Yeah, about 2012. And I just couldn't, I could not meet the goals that they had set for their new employees, their new brokers. And no matter how hard I tried, it was just impossible. And so I got laid off. I got fired in uh, December of 2012. It was just a sucky thing for them to do to fire me. But what are you going to do? So I, I'm, I'm at home and all dejected and I don't know what I'm going to do. And a friend of mine calls me and she says, uh, you know, the Today Show, I just saw that they're having a contest and they want somebody in America to write their theme song for the 60th anniversary. And I remember telling my friend, I said, Trina, that was her name. I said, I, I just don't do contests. And she says, well, what else you got to do? You know, you got nothing to lose. So I hung up and I went over to the computer and I looked up and I, I saw that they were celebrating their 60th anniversary. So I picked up my guitar and I started coming up with these ideas and I got, you know, halfway through. And then I have a friend of mine that I, I write with now and then, and she lived on the East, on the West coast. And I called her up and I said, you want to help me finish this? And she said, yeah, sure. So we finished it, you know, and we had this idea. And then um, I finished it and I go down to my kitchen and I have my wife, Jeannie, hold up the camera and I start singing it. And it's only a minute long. And I start playing it with my guitar. And I uploaded it uh, to the Today Show and that was it. And this was probably in mid to late December, maybe right after Christmas. And uh, it's probably two weeks into January. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if you've been laid off and you wake up in the morning and you got nothing to do, how you just sit there and you roll over and you pull the covers over your head. So I just kind of was doing that one morning. And the phone rings, my cell phone, and I look over and it's a 212 area code. And uh, I thought, huh. I mean, I don't know anybody in New York. And the only, I mean, it could possibly be. Do I dare? And so I answered the phone, and it was the Today Show. And it was one of the producers, and she said, you know, John, we've listened to your song, and um, you're one of the three finalists that we've chosen for your song. And I just kind of chuckled, and she said, if we were to fly you up to New York, would you have time to fly here to New York and perform it live on the Today Show? And I said, well, let me check my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> So I obviously had nothing to do. So I said, yeah, I think I could make that happen. So she says, well, I'm going to call you back and let you know for sure. And about an hour later, she calls me back and she says, all right, you're one of three finalists. We'd like to fly you up here. Can you come up next, whatever it was, Tuesday? I said, absolutely. She says, you're going to do it live with two other uh, finalists. So <clears throat> they flew me up to New York, picked me up in a, you know my own little limo, I remember driving from the airport to the studio uh, in NBC, uh, whatever it is, 30 Rock. And I, I never forget, you know, I had the limo driver pull off and I wanted a slice of New York pizza, you know, as I'm sitting in the back of a limo. It was great. Hmm. And we get to the studio <clears throat> and it was, you know, it was like the day before. And um, so we go in and I'm sitting in the green room with the other two contestants and, and, uh, the producer comes in and she introduces herself and I just said, so who's judging this competition? And she says, uh, David Foster is judging this competition. And the other two contestants, they were young. They had no idea who David Foster is, you know, 16 time Grammy winner, mm -hmm. uh, produced and wrote all the biggest songs, including Whitney Houston's, um, 
I Will Always Love You, you know, the Dolly Parton song? Right. That, you know, that she did for the movie? That's, that's David Foster. And I said, you're kidding. He's going to judge this? Oh, my gosh. That's like, that's like having a, a birthday party for your six-year-old daughter and hiring Clint Eastwood to be security. <laughs> it was just, it didn't make any sense to me. So we rehearsed just our sound and everything else the day before, and they tell us we have to leave our instruments. We're not allowed to take our instruments with us, which was really odd. But I guess they don't want any traffic issues or anything else with loading. So I had to leave my guitar there, but they put me up at the hotel right across the street and what have you. So next morning I wake up and, uh, you know, I have to be at the studio at around 5.45 a.m. I get there and um, they go in, they get another sound check, and then they walk out. And I I remember uh, Al Gore was there and he was, uh, they had him in the green room. So nobody else could be allowed in the green room because Al was there. So we, we were all downstairs in the lobby of NBC and then it was around, I was getting text messages from people all over the United States, you know, friends and family members. Good luck, good luck. And I had this terrible nightmare, guys. I swear to God, I thought for sure I was going to get up there and I was going to start to perform. It was going to it was going to be a total train wreck. And for the rest of my life, I would hear, John, it wasn't as bad as you thought it was, <laughs> you know. So they march us into the studio and. You know, one, two, three, and people, if you want to see this, you can go on and just Google John Michaels, The Today Show, and it's on YouTube. Well, we actually, and, um, I actually have the audio, if you if we can play it. We, we ripped the audio from the video, so we can play it right now, if that's okay with you. W- yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's funny, but go right ahead. Yeah, we'll pick the story back up. Let's listen to it. Where do you go? When you need to know just who you can trust And who do you turn to For all the news you can't turn to us Savannah, Matt, and Natalie Willie, too Dakota, <laughs> Alan, Kathy Lee We're neighbors, we're friends, we're family Together we've weathered history Yeah, there's lots that we have done And the best is yet to come Good times, the bad times, we've laughed and cried. We've shared with you the times of our lives. After more than 60 years, we're still here today. Today. On NBC. All right. John Michaels, what do you think? It was good. I mean, if you'd worked if you'd worked my name in there, you might have had a better <laughs> shot. You know, you had everybody else. Uh, were you nervous? How nervous were you? <laughs> oh, oh God! I, I swear to God, my mouth felt like the Sahara. It was awful, and uh, but I made it through. I mean, the sound wasn't that great, but I made it through. And then David Foster, you know, he made those comments, and then they were listening to the next two, and they had their comments, and then finally at the end, David Foster says, <clears throat> "Well, if I had to choose." One of these three songs to make it a hot 30-second theme song, I'm going to have to go with John. And boom, I won the whole thing. And uh, they, anyway, I won a trophy, and, and uh, I won the accolades and everything else. But it was a great feeling. So it, that was just one of those moments that you never expect. You know, you, you know, two weeks earlier, you're getting fired from Merrill Lynch, and two weeks later, uh, you're, uh, you're on the Today Show. You know, so you ever want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans for the future because I never saw that coming at all. But what a funny story that was. So that was one of the things. And what I did real quick was when I got back, um, <clears throat> they had said that 
there was no guarantee they were going to use the song, but they had the uh, the right to use it, but they, it was non-exclusive. So what I did was, in my business sense, I came home, and I called every NBC affiliate in the United States, and I ended up selling it individually to different stations around the United States, wow. licensing it for a year, and I went in the studio, and all I did was change the call letters, <laughs> you know, so yeah. there would be... And, and then I sold it and licensed it. So I used my business acumen uh, in order to make Hey While the Sun Shines because uh, it ended up that they never did uh, use it, but I was still able to monetize it in that sense. So that was a, that's a kind of a cool story. I know I kind of probably seem a little verbose in my stories, but in my storytelling, but that's the story. We are, we are here to hear verbose stories. So it's perfect, John. You're doing great. <laughs> Um, but let's get to your second song now. Well, this is a this song is uh, it's called the Pretender, and um, uh, let me let me just preface the real quick by saying that I remember listening to the song. I want to say I was, gosh, and I don't know what year did it come out. Do you remember? I don't know what year did it come out. Uh, Nineteen seventy six. Okay, that's what I figured. So I was sixteen years old, and I actually can s- literally see myself sitting on the edge of my bed listening to this song and kind of projecting that, is this going to be my story? And because this is exactly what has become of my story. And if I can recite the the last verse, Jackson says, I'm going to be a happy idiot and struggle for the legal tender where the ads take aim and lay their claim to the heart and the soul of the spender. And believe in whatever may lie in those things that money could buy, where true love could have been a contender. Say a prayer for the pretender. And my life actually is that of the pretender. And that verse is me. And, um, you know, now looking back, you know, uh, what is it, 44 years later from listening to that song, it almost became a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, because I was so nervous because was I going to make it in music? Because I, even at 16, I knew I wanted to be a singer-songwriter and I wanted to make it. And then I'm listening to these lyrics and I'm thinking, you know, is this going to be me? And uh, so that's kind of a that's kind of the story. And that's why I picked that song, because it's it, it has such a message to it. And uh, it's so real. And Jackson Brown is one of my all-time favorites. So that's my second choice. Well, let's listen to it. Uh, The Pretender by Jackson Brown from his 1976 album of the same name. Wow. I can't believe it. Just listening to that song at my age now and what what he says, it's exactly me. It just kind of makes my hair stand up. Hmm. Um, When was the last time you listened to that song? It's been a while. I mean, uh, it's kind of painful. To, to, to be totally honest with you. I mean, it's such a great song and such, what a, what a perspective he had on life at such a young age to write that. And, um, it, but it's, it's, it's so true about so many artists like myself who've had to, you know, struggle and kind of put their passion for their music aside to, to make legal tender and pay the bills and be like a happy idiot. And uh, I'm just, it, what an effect it has. Just sitting here listening almost made me want to tear up. It's, it's, it's got such an impact, it's such a heavy message. When, when we asked you to do this show and we kind of gave you the concept, you almost immediately came back with your three songs. Were these just obvious for you? Yeah, 
I mean, these songs have, uh, they've, they've had an impact on my life. They've, they've really meant something to me. And they've had, uh, you know, emotionally and in, in, in the sense of, you know, business and then in the sense of craft writing. You know, when we talk about the third song, you know, that had a real impact on me on the art of crafting a song and uh, what that means to actually, because uh, when we talk about uh, um, the third song and why I'm all of a sudden, I'm, uh, Harry Chapin, there it is, you know, what he, what he taught me in the sense of how to write a story. It's just mind-boggling. And I don't know if either, I'm curious, have either one of you ever heard the song that we're going to feature in the third the third song. Have you guys ever heard that song? I have not. I look no. very much forward to it. Yeah, me neither. Uh, I, all I can tell you is that it will blow your mind away. And it's it's one that, you know, you, the listener, I want to, you know, preface, you got to listen to it all the way and uh, to the end because the, you will not see the end coming. You will not see the end of the story coming. And it was just after listening to this as a kid, what year did that? This third song come out. What was it? It was before his death, obviously, but what was it? Eighty two, eighty three, maybe. Uh, actually, it was released in. It was actually released in seventy six. Oh, okay. Then going back again to sixteen, I, I, I'm, I just remember again sitting back listening to this third song by Harry Chapin, and I mean, holy cow! The choice of the lyric that he used to tell this story, and the way it all fit like an amazing puzzle. And then when he gets to the end, you're like, oh, my God. I mean, this would be like, you know, uh, an amazing movie that you didn't see. Like, like for example, you remember when we all saw the movie The Sixth Sense? You know, I See Dead People. You remember uh-huh. that? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That's what this song is like as far as how the ending hits you. You're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't see that coming. And it was the way that Harry told the story. And uh, just it, it, it set me on a path of knowing that I had to really dig deep and really be creative when it came to lyric writing. And, you know, I moved to Nashville, and Nashville's a huge lyric town. Forget the fact that it's country and everything else. It's a lyric town. And uh, so, you know, Harry Chapin, to me, was one of the most amazing storytellers, you know, whether it was, you know, Taxi or The Cats in the Cradle. But this was one of these songs that would have never been played on the radio because it was way too long. But... Even to this day, I remember after I sent it to you, I hadn't listened to it in 30, 40 years, and I start, and I played it for my daughter, for my 13-year-old daughter, and the look on her face, I know it may have been a little too uh, much to play for her, but she understood it, and uh, then I played it for my wife, and I played it for a couple friends, and they were like, oh my gosh, I didn't even see that coming, so... I'm 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 excited to share it with you because it's really it's it's an amazing story. It's told by an incredible storyteller and the reason I chose it is because it really defined me of how I was going to be a storytelling singer-songwriter and the craft that it was going to take to be ri- to to rise to this level, this bar of what I think Harry Chapin is one of the most phenomenal storytellers in song. Well, let's listen Let's listen to it right now. I've got a bunch of other questions for you, but we'll speed round them on the back end. Uh, this is uh, The Mayor of Candor Lied by Harry Chapin, released on his 1976 album On the Road to Kingdom Come. Man, talk about a song with a story. Jeez. Did I, did, was I not telling you the truth? I mean, that song... Is my blog, and I heard it when I was 16 years old. 
and uh, I never forgot it. That that line, as I looked, as I looked into his leering, aged, wrinkled mirror of my own face, uh-huh. he laughs and sneers and says, "Of course, dear son, where do you think you came from in the first place?" I mean, just the words that he used and the oh, the color and the the, the visuals and everything else. And then the story, the reaction. I mean, did you guys probably look at each other and just go, whoa, (laughs) did you guys see that coming? Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah. (laughs) So I saw it a little bit, but um, that's because this is my kind of, like, I really like these kinds of stories and songs. Um, um, Can you, uh, do you know um, the Raconteurs? Are you familiar with that? I mean, I, I, yeah, I've I've heard of them, but I I couldn't tell you anything about them. So um, there's a song, uh, that kind of made it made I, I say them it's Jack White really um famous um Carolina drama and uh John if you if I I think that you should listen to it immediately upon the end of this like interview discussion like like as soon as you hang up with us like it's like six and a half seven minutes I think you really really owe it to yourself because if this is a song that you like because of the storytelling in it I think you're gonna have a good time with it and it's called Carolina White? Uh, drama. Oh, Carolina Car- Drama. Okay. Yeah. I'm writing that down right now. Carolina Drama. All right. I will and then send us that, any- that. Huh? Yeah, send us an email. Let me know what you think. Oh, absolutely. So th- so that is, uh, those are the three songs that uh, immediately came to me and that I wanted to share. And it's been great to listen to them and talk about them. And you guys are great, man. I've enjoyed this very much. Well, that that we're going to do a speed round before we let you go, but I just want to let you know that what I jotted down during that song is this is like the Bohemian Rhapsody of folk music. <laughs> yeah, that's a good description of it. Because it has Very so much dynamicness. You know, yeah. it goes places, and his writing is just, man, that guy just wrote what he thought and saw. I mean, he doesn't try. That's so, um, it's like prose set to music in yeah. a way that's different than, I don't know, it was really amazing. Yeah, well, I'm glad you appreciated that the way I did because it's just it's masterful storytelling in in music it's just brilliant absolutely brilliant it takes you from the beginning the middle you know the end with a little bit of the difference of the bridge and then it just i mean literally you're you're hanging on to every word at least I was it was incredible absolutely um okay here i'm going to throw some questions at you so kind of do it speed round style what song have you listened to the most in your life would you say Oh gosh, that's impossible. But uh, the first thing that popped in my mind was "Do You Believe in Magic" by John uh, by John Sebastian. There's just something about that song every time it comes on. And the other one that I'd listened to quite a bit that I loved because I loved the intro was "Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress" by the Hollies. Hmm. There was just something about that intro. Uh, best concert experience of your life? Attending one, not p- performing one. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, uh, right up there with uh, Springsteen. Um, if you've ever seen Springsteen, I hope you guys have, uh, there's nothing like his show of what he gives into pe- what he gives to people. And then, uh, Jackson Brown, uh, several times and Dan Fogelberg was a big one, but, uh, you know, those three come to me right off the top. Uh, favorite stage to play on for you. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh my Lord. My, my favorite stage. Um, gosh. Uh, you know, I, I I loved the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. It was intimate. Uh, there was only about a hundred people, but uh, if if you got them, you got them. I uh, I never had the blessing of being able to perform on like Red Rocks, which to me is something that I would love to do. But 
Um, but the, the stages that I have played, the Bluebird Cafe was pretty awesome. I, I got to play there a lot, and, and that was pretty, really cool. What would you say is the most overplayed song of all time? Oh, it'd probably be something like, you know, the, 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 the songs that are out now about, what was the one that the horse with Billy Ray Cyrus and that other dude that played? Uh, Old got, Town Road. The sampling. Is there a horse in it? Yeah, you know, those. He's riding a horse, yeah. Oh. Well, isn't that what it's about? It's a horse or something? I, don't, I, I didn't mean, listen to it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, that those songs and the Macarena, it's those kind of songs that they drill into your head, you know, inside, <laughs> you know, what was the guy from North, uh, South Korea? What was that big song? Gangnam um, Style. By Psy. Yeah, yeah, Gangnam Style. Yeah. You know, so, you know, those things, they, they get, uh, you know, they, they literally, they get a billion streams uh, on Spotify and stuff. And so it's just mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Do you do karaoke? And if so, what's your go-to song? Oh, gosh. If I did karaoke, I'd probably do something from the 50s, like a Dion. Don't mess, you know keep away from a run around Sue. It's just fun. I can sing the crap out of it and I can get people clapping and everything else. I just don't follow any of the old, the newer stuff that I could get into, but I'd go, that's where I would go. I'd go to like Dion. Uh, how many guitars do you have and what is your go-to guitar? Okay. Well, I have probably six guitars and I, I'm going to just say a plug for my guitar. Larave, I was one of their artists. I was endorsed by them and they were my go-to guitar for the last 25, 30 years, I've played everything from Takaminis, Yamahas, Ovations, Martins, and then ended up with the Larivés. But I have like six guitars. I have two 12 strings. My go-to guitar is a Jumbo J10E, which stands for the electric acoustic. And that is the one that uh, I've, I travel with. Uh, I invested probably twelve or $1,300 just for the case. It's not an anvil case, but it's a specially custom-made case for this guitar. And uh, But it's a six-string Jer- uh, Larive J10E. Just incredible with a nice, fat bottom-end sound. Hmm. If you can learn another instrument instantly without having to put the work in, what would you choose? I play both guitar and piano, but to answer your question, uh, I would love to play a saxophone. Right, I mean, a tenor sax, just wail like Clarence Clemens did and Bruce Springsteen. That seems like a pretty awesome instrument to play. If you were a championship wrestler, what music would you come into the arena on? <laughs> wow. Uh, oh, gosh. You know, it would be one of those, you know, big movie, big theme songs, Eye of the Tiger or you know, one of those theme songs like that. I mean, that, that just to me makes sense. I don't think I'd come in on the mayor of Candorlide, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it could work. No, so pick one, pick one. Uh, the, the the Rocky theme. The theme or Eye of the Tiger? I, well, isn't that, what, isn't that what it was, the Eye of the Tiger, where Rocky's climbing up the stairs in Philadelphia? Uh, isn't that what they sang? No, no. The Eye of the Tiger was like Rocky Three. Rocky Three. yeah. yeah. The, the theme is the one that goes... I can't believe um, I knew that. Da-dun-dun. Da-dun-dun. Yeah, that's, the one, I, that's yeah. the one I would go in. I'd go in with that one. Cool. Uh, if, you were a co- if you were a cocktail or drink of some kind, what would it be? Oh, if I was a cocktail... It'd probably be something that, you know, uh, that beautiful women would love to drink. You know, and what is a, what is a, you know, what do women like to drink? What are some of their big drinks? I, 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 I'm not a drinker, so I don't know. But I know that I would love to be in a, I would love to be going up a straw into their mouth. 
Let's just put it that way. So whatever drink that women love, you know, I'm not going to, uh, some fruity drink, some cool drink. I know that's not the answer you're looking for, but uh, I mean, listen, I <laughs> you, 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 this, I but the things you said were good enough for the answer to that question. <laughs> I need you to, the problem is I, I need, I need one more thing, John. I need you to name that drink. We'll we're putting up, together uh, a, we'll a, make a up cocktail what, book. We'll make up what goes in it, but can you name it? Oh my God! Weak knees, weak knees. Let's let's call it weak knees. Let's call let's call it wet weak knees. Yes. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Um, if you could broadcast a song simultaneously into the head of every person on the planet, which song would you choose? Oh, it'd be one of my songs. It'd be Check Please. Uh, what's the most re- well? I can't say that. That's not no, fair. You can, you can say, totally that. say that. I, I'm I'm cool with that. It would be it would right, be more okay. random than everybody hearing Imagine it once though. That's for sure. <laughs> everybody yelling out at the same time. Check please. That would be. Fun. Oh, that'd be great. Um, you said. Uh, well, you kind of alluded to this when we were chatting before the show. What's the most recent song you've written? All right. Well, the most recent song is is a beautiful Christmas song, and uh, so I'm very. It's just a beautiful Christmas song, and uh, just simply called "It's Christmas, Merry Christmas." But I'm very happy. I. Um, Cool lyrics. Uh, hoof cl- I, I did a rhyme. I, one of the one of the rhymes I made was "hoof clops on rooftops," and I thought that that was kind of clever. You know, trying to come up with something you know f- that you don't really hear. Hoof clops on rooftops. I thought that was cool. So that was my n- most newest song. is called "It's Christmas, Merry Christmas." If you could share a stage with anybody, alive or dead, who would it be? Oh gosh, holy cow! Uh, you know, it would. Gosh. And, and take away the intimidation factor of being on stage with them. Oh my gosh. Uh, it would definitely be somebody like, um, you know, Paul McCartney, you know, of the, of John Lennon and Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney is my favorite. And that is, uh, somebody I would love to be on stage. Who wouldn't like to be on stage with him? I mean, he's a, he's, he's the Gandhi of songwriting music. Billy Joel is another one. Billy Joel is one of, the, I think, America's greatest treasures when it comes to songwriting. So it would be one of those two, absolutely. And hopefully they would have the the uh, uh, the, the admiration for me as I have for them. I know that it's impossible, but wouldn't that be great to have the respect of them and your music versus what you feel for them? That would be incredible. What a night that would be. Have you ever given any thought to, you know, we've come up with this concept of a song story, meaning that if you, you hear a song, it triggers a memory, brings you back to a place. Have you ever given much thought to that being something that you've provided for other people? You know, somebody heard a song of yours while they were having an experience in some way that crystallized that all together. Absolutely. I, I, I receive letters all the time. I mean, I have, I was on PBS for many years, um, I don't know if Amy shared with you, but I spent several years uh, singing on a cooking show, and um, it was a PBS show, and um, I reached thousands and thousands of people and sold thousands and thousands of CDs, and I received letters. You know, you could go look at my guest book on my website, and people are always telling me what a particular song had done for them. Uh, I people used to say about me is if you go see a John Michael show, um, bring your Kleenex because he's going to make you cry, and it's because I I go deep. I, I go and I touch people, you know, and I talk about topics that you don't hear a lot of songwriters, and I do, you know, and I and I and I do it in such a way that's that's very memorable. So, you know, yes, to answer your question, yes. 
And the, and the great thing that we've discovered by doing this show is that we kind of have a, 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 a similar effect where stories will leak out of the show, I think, is how I look at it, because people will hear a song when they're out in the world, and they'll be reminded of the story that was told by a guest on this show. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, like, you, like I, it happened to me once. I was in Home Depot, and a song came on that I had never heard before until we did the show with this person. And suddenly, I was imagining being in her backyard while she was painting this picture, which was her story during the podcast. So it's just like the virality of music and memory and how it just keeps spreading. And we're pretty happy to get to do it. Yeah. I, I don't have any comment on that, I, but I, I, I don't know what to say on that one. But um, do I have a uh, ask me the question again because maybe I'm oh no I'm no I, you already answered you answered the question great I just asked a follow up question oh, that okay. led you be- okay. to believe I was still asking the question um, okay it's time for us to a- uh, ask the hard question Richard do this so uh, John of the three songs that you brought for us today I want you to use those as your answers for this these this question I'm going to give you uh, you have to choose between them uh, three things one of the songs that you brought will be guaranteed to um, always survive uh, time. People will listen to it, love it, recommend it, understand it, uh, going forward forever. One of the songs uh, becomes the only song that you get to listen to for the rest of your life. And one of the songs has to be erased from history. It was uh, never never written, never existed. Go. All right, well, the song that I would listen to just... Uh, the, the, your first question would be I'll have to say I love you in a song that's an emotion that everybody I think would relate to of telling their partner or somebody you know close to them who they love you know expressing it that way the uh, the song that um, I would listen to is The Pretender because then I could relate to it you know of, of what I had done through my life and the choices that I've made and as far as the third what would I erase I would probably erase the mayor of Condor Lied only for the fact that it's kind of a of a, the, the 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 theme of it, you know, incest and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, we could probably get away with not dealing with that. Topic. You answered that very precisely. People usually hem and haw on that. Nice job. Okay, it is time for you to recommend three people who you will share our podcast with your episode once it releases, and that you think will make good guests for us to try to get. Wow. Um, you know, I know a lot of really cool people. Um, I know. Well, I we're, mean, we're, okay, we're hoping. Well, tell me, <laughs> do you want people like myself that are phenomenal songwriters that have great stories? Or do you want people that might be, you know, interesting that, you know, in a business sense or or, or something? Give me an idea because, I mean, I, I know a lot of different people in a lot of different veins. Sure. I want to. I want people at the intersection of you think they'll say yes to doing the show and have um, interesting stories in their life. Uh, it's irrespective of their ability to make music, although it doesn't hurt. Well, all right. For example, first name is Gary Burr, and if you just you know you Google Gary, I think Gary was the number one songwriter in Nashville. And Gary is, uh, I mean, he's written songs for, um, to, for, for Ringo Starr, and he was one of the first writers to write the uh, song, the hit song on um, America's, uh, not America's Got Talent, but uh, American Idol, okay? Mm-hmm. And he's had cuts by everybody, and he's toured with Ringo to Carole King, 
and but you would not you don't know his name, but you know his work. So Gary's one, and uh, you know when I send you an email, I'll I'll send you his email address. Awesome. And you just drop my name, and uh, you just say, listen, this is what we do and who we are, and we'd love to uh, do a podcast. Um, and um, he's number one. Um, I think um, as far as um, let's see who else I gave you. I uh, you know obviously I didn't give you, but you know um, I work with Les, so that he was an interesting guy. And you've already done him. So um, the two other people that I I think would be really cool. If you'll, you know what, I don't want to just blurt out anything yet because I want to give it a little bit of thought, but I can tell you this, I'll give you two other names um, that I think are uh, really, really cool. That really is, cool people. That is perfectly okay with us. I will be sure to follow up with you, um, and, and we would love to get um, uh, Mr. Burr on, and uh, that's the end of the road, John. We appreciate it. Do you have any final thoughts you want to leave us with? No. Um, you know, I talk an awful lot, and I didn't mean to to talk this long and to take it this long, but I really appreciate this opportunity just to take a break from life and just have fun for an hour and a half, and it, it was a great escape for me. So thank you, you know, I, you know, uh, for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it because it was fun for a Friday afternoon just to, to just go off and regress, uh, not regress, but go back, you know, <laughs> in time to where I was uh, Thank you so much. We yeah. really, really appreciate it. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and periodic host. Chris Duff is his executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, it's Check Please off John's 2002 album, Stones. I'd have to walk her to the altar What I think about that Check please Quickly How much do I owe It's time for me to go What she wants to do Ain't on the menu So they made her beast Number one, two, three Check please Ah, oh, check please Hold her up the next day Said meet me in the cafe Told her I was hasty Try once more Red wine, candlelight Couldn't keep the subject lighted Headed for the gutter like the night before Then she leaned over and whispered with them Drop dead lips How's about we settle down and rest and kiss Check please, quickly How much do I owe? It's time for me to go What she wants to do ain't on the menu So hey, let her be snapper one, two, three Check I'm doing fine, I can walk away at any time As a matter of fact, I ain't calling her back Back in the next night, giving in to Miss Wright Taking her home to meet the mom and dad I told her I would gladly wait for wedding bells to consummate Even if those cold showers drove me mad Then she gives me that I want you right now, look with her eye Started climbing up my thigh Everybody said
Time on three song stories. How tall are you, stiltless? Stiltless, five, two. How tall are you, stilted? Eight, two. <laughs> wow. Could you be taller? Nope. 